Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Shares for beginners. Don't drink the Kool-Aid and think this is going to solve everything. It's not. It's a gradual progress, and I think you have to be prepared. It is volatile at times. It's not always going to go up, but neither does tech. So I think it's, it's something where people have to think like, well, it supplements your portfolio, and it gives you this longevity that you have. And it is really an area that is changing quite rapidly. G'day, and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. My guest today is Dr. Bianca Ogden, who's the manager of the Platinum International Healthcare Fund. And we heard from Bianca last year, about uh, the middle, I think about June in 2020. The fund invests in healthcare companies from around the world, from research through to -to direct-to-consumer healthcare services like hospitals and health insurance providers. G'day, Bianca. Hello, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for coming back on as well. We spoke in the middle of last year and we discussed your opinion on the chances of a vaccine being developed. How's that worked out? Uh, I think it's worked out um, quite well, I think, for all of us and for for the globe, really. So I'm quite pleased and I'm quite pleased how we um, really invested alongside with it. So that was quite good. You were very perceptive about it in that you thought that there would be different technologies. I had to listen to the episode yesterday so I could go over what we spoke about, but you said that there would be different technologies and the possibility of treatments as well, and these both seem to have played out. Yes, so what's interesting to us and I guess what we kind of implied was that the traditional vaccine manufacturers were actually not the ones that provided it. It was actually the ones that um, had the new technology and really took on the challenge. And really what's most fascinating, I think we talked about it, was the supply chain as well, how they developed all of that in record speed kind of from their living room. 
And so that was really fascinating to us. But I think that over time, what we're seeing now is the therapeutics coming along very gradually. And I think that will increase next year. So overall, I think we really are on the final stretch. But we will, I think, have to endure potentially annual vaccinations, maybe not just with mRNA technology. I think there will be others coming through as well that will help along the way. So I think the biotech industry has shown how they can really mobilize and um, the new technologies really do work. So this mRNA technology, that the one you refer to, is that the one that was, like you said, developed in someone's living room? Well, no, it wasn't in a living room. It's more like when we go back last year, so because everyone went into lockdown. So most of the people that that were running these companies were essentially also in their houses. And um, I find it fascinating because usually they all travel around the world, but they couldn't really do that. So they had to sit there and sign these contracts with different countries, different suppliers, you name it. And they managed to do that even more efficiently. So I think with Zoom, which then is like the tech kind of that we can use today, it's really remarkable how that works. And so the technology has started and developed in the living room, but it really shows, I think, how far we all have come. I think if you go back five or 10 years, even, we wouldn't have been able to do this. And who are the companies involved? And um, are you invested in them? So we were invested in both in Moderna and BioNTech for mRNA. And ever since 2017, really, we've looked at this technology. So we've been invested in both companies since 2019 the way before all of this unfolded, because we felt at the time that mRNA as a new therapeutic or vaccine modality was really interesting. And um, we also have a bit of a history of looking at the vaccine industry. And we felt that, particularly from Moderna's point of view, that they really had a good likelihood of really disrupting the vaccine industry. And out of that, when we do our research, we always look at who are all the players in an area or in a, or a disease or a drug modality? And so we looked at various of the mRNA companies, including CureVac, which is another company that listed last year in Germany. And we felt the delivery of mRNA has really improved the lipid nanoparticles. They now know how to use it, how to encode this mRNA. And so that's what we felt was interesting also for rare diseases and later down the track for potentially personalized vaccines. So that was our starting kind of point with that technology. Today, we are invested in some of them, but not all of them, because I'm not a fan when someone else can tell me the story really well back. I'd rather be the one where they don't know that yet. And so that's kind of how we've now moved on and look for kind of different technologies that potentially allow for deeper vaccination responses and a longer immunity so you don't have to get it every year or you get better combination vaccines. So that's what we do. That's actually a very interesting comment. You're not looking for companies that can explain what they're doing to you. How do you mean? No, the companies themselves can explain it to me. But the scientists? Yeah, so the scientists are very much like to interact with companies and understand what they do and actually learn from them. And what I get a bit worried about is when, for example, the man on the street or everyone that I talk to suddenly can tell me, oh, look, mRNA, have you heard about this? And it's like, well, yes, it was very different with Moderna when we invested in it. It was very much when we said that the IPO was kind of high profile because there was a lot of people saying that Moderna is almost a fraud. And so when you then said, well, we actually invested in it, we actually looked at them for a couple of years now, they said, oh, my God. 
why do you do that? That's not going to work. So I rather prefer that than someone telling me, oh, you look at this and constantly say, you've got to own this. It's like, yeah, you could make money, but most of the time the story is then well understood. So I kind of tend to like to look at things before it is understood by the market. So that no more. No, the company themselves can explain it quite well, you hope. <laughs> so it's interesting how everyone's become an epidemiologist and a virologist over the last year, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But really, being a virologist, you do have a unique perspective on these companies as a fund manager. Are you in unique in the industry with your kind of qualifications? Well, look, I think I'm a bit unique because I try not to follow the crowd. I think in other healthcare fund managers, you have a lot of people with PhDs, with degrees. But the one thing I tend to do is I really try and go where others don't go. So you will find a lot of analysts, they, they will follow the crowd because it is easier, whereas I try and really you know understand different things. But there are others that have my background and they do it similarly. I've worked in pharmaceutical companies, so I've seen how they think. So it's not just a degree. I think in the end, it's about how do you apply that learning? Do you go deeper? Do you understand it? Do you then look at companies that are maybe not so well defined. And the other thing I do is I don't let sell side analysts tell me what to do or what to look at. I go proactively out there and call the companies up and try and build the relationship. So that's what we did with BioNTech. Essentially just sent them emails, rang them and said, can we come and visit? Can we look at it? And it's also about the network that you have that you tap into to someone that you respect. Like, for example, some of my peers who say, well, have you looked at this? You should have a look at that. So, yeah, I think I'm not a typical fund manager in that it's purely about the investing. That is important, but it's also about, you know, what is it that makes this company tick and how can we build that further and really influence the outcome of companies? So what we've done here in Australia, for example, we invested in a local biotech called Antisense Therapeutics. They're in Melbourne. And when they came to us, they really hardly had any money on the balance sheet. But they had a very interesting drug for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And we felt, look, it's really important to support that. And in the end, to be honest, without our money, they wouldn't have been able to now start a larger late stage clinical development in Europe. So it isn't just about investing. It is also about, you know, how can we help advance science? So that is probably a little bit different to, for example, a generalist fund manager. I'm very passionate about science. I'm very passionate to really change and have an impact on standard of care going forward. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. But there are other people like me, so I'm not that unique. But in the end, I think in Australia, we are quite unique with what we offer. Can you describe what the business of vaccines looks like to someone who doesn't have a great deal of experience in this space? Yeah, so when you look at therapeutics, where we take pills or headache pills, it's all about treating a symptoms that arises. So it's acute treatment, really. Whereas vaccines, is all about prevention. And in the end, when you look at healthcare, it should really be about prevention, but it's very difficult. But for infections, such as from viruses or bacteria, we kind of have, have going back many, many decades, centuries really, we really know that our immune system, we have to prime it. We have to essentially tell them, give them the picture. I'm trying to use like images here, but give them a picture of this pathogen. And then they know, okay, I know what to do when it comes. 
And that's basically what vaccines are. And what we do is, in this case, it was basically a surface protein that sits on the outside of the virus that we basically give to the person and then the immune system looks at it and basically makes a note of it and says, okay, if that comes, I have to process it like that, like basically get rid of it. And that's what vaccine is. One of the key things from a business model for vaccines is that you negotiate usually with governments. So you don't have to go into a doctor's office to convince them that your drug is the best. It's much more you actually have to convince governments. And what that means to your cost structure really is you don't have to pay as much for the sales force. So while vaccines, as we know with the flu, are quite seasonal, you have to make it much more in advance than when it's actually given. So there's a bit of a different kind of accounting thing going on. But in the end, they're very profitable. And so what we've now seen is also there hasn't been much innovation for a long time. And when these mRNA technologies are now coming along, they are very much saying, look, we're going to combine different vaccines. So what you potentially will have from now on is something every time before winter starts, a respiratory vaccine cocktail. And that's kind of the next stage of what we're seeing. And that may be every year or every second year. And I think that's an interesting concept. And what also will happen is our flu vaccines will become much more efficacious now because there is now finally a bit of competition here, which usually means we're really like working on getting better at it, which is then a great outcome for us people. So that's kind of what the vaccine industry is like. It isn't therapeutic, but I think what we're going to see over time, it will move gradually into something like a personalized cancer vaccine because cancer is no different. It's a foreign thing in us that really our immune system should recognize. But the tumor is so clever that it basically hides from the immune system and even manipulates it. And it manipulates it to its advantage. It's almost like a, in many ways, viruses do the same, but it is kind of like that's the same thing. So everyone is trying to work out how can we make a vaccine, like prime it for this is a tumor you attack. So it's a very fascinating area. And I think over the next decade, it will get even more interesting. Do you get frustrated with um, the problems that are coming out about the vaccines at the moment and uh, the kind of discussion around vaccines and their safety? Yeah, look, I do get not annoyed. I think the information out there is just not very factual. And I do think that it is very natural that this first generation of vaccines that was basically developed very quickly will have a waning immunity. I don't think that is a surprise. I think the media could have done a lot better. So um, my learning phase over the last year have been how little facts are there and how little people stick to the facts, which to me as an investor is great because now I know I can use that quite well. But yeah, it's, it is frustrating. And it's to hear things like, oh, the mRNA, you know, reprograms your cells is like, no, I don't even know where that comes from. Or then I hear, oh, Novavax is an old technology. Well, it's not. It's a new technology, and so is AstraZeneca. So I try and correct that. But, yeah, it is fascinating to see what happens. And you now, given my background, I understand what's going on. But I find it um, very frustrating for people that don't know because it's very fearful and scary. So that's a bit unfortunate. Tell us a little bit about the mRNA technology and uh, the development of it and what it actually does. I find this fascinating, even though I know we're in an investment podcast. It's really fascinating. 
Yeah, no, look, I think the mRNA is actually, it's the concept that is essentially a natural concept. So you have your DNA and there's your genes and the genes basically encode proteins. But from the gene to get to the protein, you need an intermediary step and that is the messenger RNA, which is essentially a copy of your gene that then something which I call a protein making machinery recognizes and from that blueprint, it then can make the protein. So it's a natural process. We, us humans and any other higher organism, makes mRNA every day. So it's nothing foreign. So the idea has always been a lot of diseases are caused because a protein is missing, for example, particularly in rare diseases. So how can we replace that protein? And one of the simplest is to just use an mRNA and make it in the lab and basically stick it into the patient. The problem is that this little piece of mRNA gets degraded very quickly. And one of the key things when we basically looked at mRNA, we noticed that there was a lot of publications happening in terms of the delivery of mRNA and a lot of how you design the mRNA properly. There's different things you can do because the mRNA structure folds onto itself and creates these complex structures and they then determine how fast the protein is made. And so we've noticed a lot was happening in that space. And so we then engaged with the respective companies. But it's essentially a natural process. And that's what I find so elegant in biotech is it's a natural process that's been adapted to be a therapeutic or a vaccine. And that's always a great thing. So if you look at gene editing, it's a natural process or CRISPR. It's a natural process that bacteria use to fight viruses. And we have now adapted that as a gene editing tool. So it's always fascinating when something scientists do, they adapt the natural process to use it somewhere else or as a therapeutic. And that's what mRNA is. And now we just learned how to design them much better, which then comes AI into it and machine learning and all of that. So it is a combination, again, of biotech and tech coming together, which we are very excited about. I know it's a very exciting industry and you're obviously very excited about it. Any other innovations that are exciting you at the moment? I think there's a lot happening in terms of, again, goes back to these proteins because they're ultimately, when a disease is, these proteins don't function as they should. So what scientists can now do, they can engineer them, they can add things to them, they can make them shorter, they find new ways of making it cheaper. There's a lot happening in that engineering field. And then on top of that, you have like mRNA, which people now call a genetic medicine. So there's lots happening. And I think in the end, what we really see is we understand diseases better and much more in detail. So when you look at lung cancer, it sits in the lung, the cancer, but it's a cancer that's now defined by many different mutations. And so you'll now, first of all, look at profile the tumor and then say, well, the patient had this mutation, so it needs this particular drug. If it has another mutation, it needs another drug. So all of this is happening. Diagnostic is getting better. And again, when you then overlay that, the data that's being generated, and then the machine learning on top of that, we're really in for some really, I think, precise precision medicine in the next decade. So there's lots going on. We're quite interested in artificial intelligence to make drug discovery more efficient and speed it up. So we've got some investments around that and in protein engineering, which is fascinating and moves quite quickly. And there's many different opportunities you have around that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So how do you use some of these exciting innovations and uh, knowing about these innovations and then pivot into your investment decisions? How does that process work for you? It's all about, I think, constant learning and it's constant curiosity to wanting to understand. So everyone talks about immune oncology and how basically turning the immune system back against the cancer to basically get rid of it. And what we're doing a lot, trying to understand, so, okay, we have these, they're called PD-1s, these checkpoint inhibitors. That's great. First layer, some patients respond, but there's a lot of them that don't respond and a lot of them also basically stop responding to it. So what happens there? And one of the key things is that where the tumor sits, it sits in a certain environment and that environment is very important to understand what's going on. It manipulates the immune system. And so we're trying to understand, so what companies sit around that? And we try and map that out. And then what we do is we also look at there's some companies that everyone knows about and everyone wants to be invested in. And again, as I said before, where everyone tells me they're the leader, they're the number one. And I know from my 18 years that it's never going to be just one company. There's others and they can be as competitive. And so we then look at for the others that someone maybe not is so interested. So often you find them in Europe, in different jurisdictions, the U.S., relatively well covered but there's always some others where everyone flocked to one and then the other one may be a little bit later or is a little bit behind but funny enough in this industry they can catch up quite quickly so there's different layers to the investment decision that we make but one of the key things is interact with companies interact with the industry interact with the people that are actually doing the work rather than just stare at the computer so i think that's to me what i love the most so tr- Unfortunately, we can't travel at the moment that much, but that's what we do. We go to the lab, we meet the scientists, we meet the people that do the work. And what helps me, obviously, with my background is to engage with them and understand them. And the other part is you should never be afraid of thinking about what would happen if that actually works. Because sometimes that clouds you because you're so worried of making a mistake. But in this industry, you will always make mistakes. That's what it is. You learn from it. And I think that's the key to what we do. And at the moment, the market is not so excited about biotechs. It's about, you know, now you add to them, you build your portfolio up again. There's layers to it. But what I think the most important is to really don't believe everything you read, don't follow the herd and really talk to the people that actually do the work. Something I've noticed is that the number of companies now that find and reuse data to improve healthcare outcomes. I mean, an example was I was talking a couple of weeks ago with an analyst about a company that um, looks at nurse call information. So when someone presses a button for the nurse in a hospital or an aged care facility, there's a whole range of data that comes out of that that can be reused and um, applied to better healthcare outcomes in the future. Are you finding some of that as well? Yeah. So look, people even talk to you how they can use data differently. And there's always been the idea that with all your healthcare data, 
that we generate scans, hospital reports, doctor reports, GP reports. And then on top of that, your, for example, what you eat, your diet, your, all of that. How cool would it be if you have all that data and then someone can analyze it? And there's companies out there that do it. It's not as straightforward and as, I think, magical that it just spits out the great response. We've been quite early in the area of cancer with a company called Foundation Medicine that then was acquired by Roche. They were looking at, you know, if you can combine your genomic data of the tumor and also of the patient and then look at the treatment and build a database around that, that will help us make better decisions in drug discovery, but also diagnostically and in treatment. So there's companies around that. There's a company in Germany that we actually own called Centogene. They're building a database on rare disease patients on the globe. So they look at these patients from a genetic point of view and all sorts of different metabolics and markers that they collect and then look at also what features do they have, what symptoms do they have. And they store that, again, as a database, and that's what they do. So there's lots of these companies in there. I think the companies that probably specialize at the moment are more interesting than the companies that want to do it all because I think that's it's a big undertaking but it is look the cloud and all machine learning AI allows us to do that because you've got to be sifting through so much data presumably yeah and you have to clean the data because you pull it from different obviously sources and then you have to make sure that it is in a way that you can analyze it that it is always consistent with what you look at and that's quite a big undertaking so it's something we learn we understand and it's again talking to as many companies as possible being as open-minded to all of them to understand you know where do they come from how do they fit in and really challenge your thinking and then talk to you know a machine learning experts and try and do that but yeah it's an area that will I wouldn't say explode but that's why we're also seeing this convergence between the tech investor coming in and the health tech investor. And they, in funny kind of way, actually speak a bit of a different language and they have to learn to basically to speak each other's language. And we're finding now companies that can do that. And I think that's the most exciting part who really converge these two cultures together. But yes, again, it's another fascinating area in this field. <laughs> fascinating area on top of fascinating yeah. area. I was also speaking to someone else who was mentioning that blockchain technology is coming into play in terms of the securitization of patient records, which hasn't been possible in the past. So I think sometimes we have to step back and say, if we look at healthcare and we look at ourselves, you know, the same thing, you still see people walk around with x-rays in their bag. And so you wonder, like, how can that be happened? Why can't you send that, you know, on the cloud or do whatever? And I think it's a very difficult area to disrupt or you ever want to use the word. But it's essentially, it takes a while because hospitals are big. It's very, the data sources that come in are quite different. There isn't a unique thing like an SAP for the healthcare environment. So all of that, I think what we're seeing over the time again is a lot from the tech will move into this space and will really, really change it and hopefully make it more efficient. And I think in the end, what we need is, you know, to save costs because it is very expensive to run a hospital or drugs are quite expensive. They're not that cheap. But yeah, I fully agree. I think it's slowly coming in, but it is all in its infancy because the whole system there hasn't been much movement in that. And I think we're seeing that slowly happening now. Mm. So tell us about the fund and um, how people can uh, find out a bit more information. 
Yeah, so basically the easiest is to find out the information. You just go onto the Platinum website and there's lots of on the inside tab, I think it's called. We've got a lot of different kind of essays that we write or comments that we make. And then we've got every quarter we write a quarterly. And it's actually written by each of us portfolio managers. We're not very excited at times when it comes around and we have to write it again. But to be honest, I've just finished mine for this quarter. It's actually exciting because it keeps you honest and it keeps you rethinking what has actually happened and have a look at what have I gotten wrong and what's happening here. And that's quite good. So there's lots of information. The fund itself is really a lot about biotech, a lot about what will change in the next decade. Yeah, tell us about the range of investments and the kind of companies and sectors that are covered by it. Yeah, so we do still invest in the, the old pharma companies. They all have to change, obviously, but they're still very good companies. And there's a lot of biotech in therapeutic kind of areas that we look at. We really are very much interested in neurodegeneration, like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, but also more rare diseases that really happen in our brain. And we think there's a lot of work happening there and a lot of progress being made. We obviously have immune oncology, but as I said before, it's much more about the next generation. So I'm not really interested in a marginal checkpoint inhibitor. I'm much more interested, let's just really work out how we can manipulate the immune system to our advantage, not the cancer's advantage. And then there's also tools. So I'm a big fan of the tools that are required to actually make these advances possible. And that's always been a big theme for us. It's about, you know, how do you analyze this microenvironment around the tumor? How do you really drill down to understand it? So that's what's in there. There's some Asian biotechs in there as well, which we believe is a big market. They're going through some regulatory adjustments, and that is painful, I admit. But in the end, it is a market that says, biotech is an important industry for them. And we're really seeing some great companies there. They're doing really good work and really building the infrastructure of delivering novel therapeutics in China and in Asia. So we want to be part of that. So it's a range of things. It isn't so much the hospital insurance companies, although I'm quite interested what's happening in the insurance market in China, for example. So there is, there's different aspects. But overall, I think the quarterly is a great way to do it. We have also videos that we make to bring it closer. And then at times we're on different kind of channels where we present as well. So obviously an investor doesn't want to put all their money into this one sector. How should people look at this sector as being part of their whole portfolio allocation? A lot of people are very easy convinced to invest in tech because they're used to it. They know all the different, I don't know, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. They know what software companies are. I wouldn't now say, you know, you put your money into a biotech and you hold on for dear life. These things can backfire because it is difficult drug development. And they have such lengthy runways as well to profitability. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight at all. And usually there's various fundraisings involved in it. But I think you have to look at it. It is getting very different. You have tools, you have different things, and it's a mixture of that. So I think it is it is part of a portfolio as much as tech would be. I always find it funny how people say, oh, tech, they're very easy to put the money in. But biotech, there's still this like, oh, I don't really know. But then when they have something, they tell you how amazing this Alzheimer drug will be. And you're like, well, hold on. I think it's not that easy. So I think everything you have to do and measure yourself. Don't drink the Kool-Aid and think this is going to solve everything. 
it's not. It's a gradual progress. And I think you have to be prepared. It is volatile at times. It's not always going to go up, but neither does tech. So I think it's it's something where people have to think like, well, it supplements your portfolio and it gives you this longevity that you have. And it is really an area that is changing quite rapidly. And it's a long-term theme that's continually progressing. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, locally know CSL. I think it's a great company, but it isn't the innovation that really is at the cutting edge that you really want for the next 10 to 15 years. <laughs> I just find it amazing now having realised how many biotech companies are. You know, in the Channel 9 News, often they'll have, you know, oh, this amazing cancer treatment that's coming up. And, you know, everyone waits on because it's going to be the final story, but people are really interested in that, aren't they? Yeah. But there are so many of these companies doing this and they're, they're not necessarily going to be having a breakthrough even for a long time. One of the companies that we actually own quite a bit of was recently in the news here locally. And um, I just look at it and say, like, yeah, that's great. But do you know that to get to where they want, you need 50 to $100 million? And unfortunately, in the local market, no one supplies that. And that is very frustrating because there is good science here, but it isn't supported. And in many ways, I wish we could change that. And I think we're seeing something that, interestingly, in Europe, because of BioNTech, because people weren't as interested initially. Germans were very reluctant to put their money in. But now they're like saying, like, we've got to build this. We've got to use that momentum. And I do think that probably in, I would say, in five to 10 years, Australia can do the same. And we've seen it in tech. You now open the AFR and there's all these tech, you know, VCs getting that funding and whatever funding. There's no reason that biotech can't do that in the future. So it's fascinating. Dr. Bianca Ogden, thanks very much for joining me today. Pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Platinum Investment Management Limited, ABN 25063565006, AFSL 221935. Trading as Platinum Asset Management. Commentary reflects Platinum's views and beliefs at the time of recording, which is subject to change without notice. Certain information contained herein constitutes forward-looking statements. Due to various risks and uncertainties, actual events or results, outcomes may differ materially, and no undue reliance should be placed on those forward-looking statements. To the extent permitted by law, no liability is accepted by Platinum for any loss or damage as a result of any reliance on the information contained herein. Information is general in nature and does not take into account your specific specific needs or circumstances. You should consider your own financial position, objectives and requirements and seek professional financial advice before making any financial decisions. You should also read the latest relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to acquire units in any of Platinum's funds. Copies are available at www.platinum.com.au. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 